if I just drinking at my place. Don't get caught. There's always a saying, right? You can do anything, but don't get caught. Hello everyone, welcome back to Sage again. And today we have a very special guest. Um, so before we start, I would like to have this guest to introduce himself in one sentence. Hello, Andrew. <laughs> I need to save some calls. Can you tell? I have to create my own sound effects. <laughs> hi, hi everyone. I'm Andrew. Um, how should I introduce myself in one sentence? <laughs> that's no that's a little bit difficult. Um, I'm an engineer by training. Uh -huh. I'm born and bred in Singapore. I'm of a Chinese descendant. Mm -hmm. um, my grandfather... Are you looking at your line? No. Okay. I'm just looking <laughs> at the questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, my grandfather migrated um, mm. to Malaysia. Oh, really? Yeah. I have no idea. Mm. So back home, he speaks... Cantonese. Oh, Cantonese. Yeah. So he's from Guangzhou. Uh -huh. um, so he kind of like left China after the Second World War. Mm. Mm. So he migrated down south, eventually settled down in Malaysia, Penang. Mm. That's where my mom was brought up. And that's where my mom met my father. Oh, so your mom also speaks Cantonese. Uh, mm. Yes, correct. So both my parents are actually from Malaysia. And yeah. why your Mandarin is so good? Why my Mandarin is so good? Because I was born and bred in Singapore. Uh, and Mandarin is like our curriculum. It's our mother tongue. Yeah, I understand, man. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get offended. No, what I'm trying to say is I thought you would speak Cantonese with your mom and dad. Oh, no. So they make it a point that when they speak to us, to, to their children, so mm. my brother and myself, mm. they will speak in Mandarin. Oh. But between them, like when they do a conversation between both of them, mm -hmm. they will speak in Cantonese. Yeah. So What's I grew that? up in a Cantonese speaking environment. I can understand Cantonese very well. Can you speak? I can speak a little bit, but like all languages you need to practice. Yeah. So, and especially Cantonese, the the, the articulation of the word mm -hmm. is, um, there is eight different tonation, right? It's not like Chinese, there's only four tonation, mm -hmm. right? But Cantonese has eight different tonation. So sometimes I have that syllabus in my mind that mm. I want to speak, mm. but I just couldn't really articulate in the right tonation. But you can still practice that with your parents, right? I do, but it's just a little bit awkward. Like it doesn't come naturally. Oh. Yeah. So my yeah. So I practice when I go on business trip, when I go to Hong Kong, and nobody will judge you because if you are a foreigner and you are in their local country and you attempt to speak their local languages is actually quite encouraging for them. Oh, is it? Yeah, I mean... That's they... uncalled for. I don't know. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I thought they would ask you to speak English with them. No? Not really because not... I mean, like the, the hawkers, for example, not okay. all of them can actually speak English. Oh. Yeah. And if you speak Mandarin, they probably think that you're from mainland China. And yeah. there's a bit of a tension, right? Yeah. Going on. I will yeah. think, yes, so this is I, what I, I would think you're from. I, yeah, so I'd rather be a, to them as a foreigner visiting Hong Kong mm. um, and make an attempt to speak their local languages. Mm. Yeah. So I could get around in a cab, no problem. Uh, sometimes in a cab, I'll try to engage in a conversation with the, the oh, driver. I see. Yeah. Oh. 
but like your parents speak Cantonese with you on purpose, right? Uh, sorry, Mandarin with you on yeah, purpose. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and so I speak Mandarin to my friends while growing up in school. Is it because like the education system here in Singapore is like mm. bilingual, either English or Mandarin, so that your parents choose to speak Mandarin correct. with you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah, they were a bit, I don't know, pro-nationalistic policy at that point in time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when I was growing up, um, the, our founding prime uh, minister, Lee Kuan Yew, uh-huh. he did mention that, you know, all your, all your Chinese name, you should um, deviate from dialect names and choose Han Yu Ping. Oh. So the way that I spell my Mandarin name is in Han Yu Ping. Uh-huh. As, uh, and it's, it's in a different spelling as compared to my brother. So my surname is Xiao. Uh-huh. Xiao is quite common in Taiwan as well, yeah, right? Yeah, it's very common in yeah. Taiwan. So my, in Taiwan, like if you were to spell Xiao, it would be H-S-I-A-O. Yes. Right? As so, in Xie. Mm, mm. Or my... My my brother's uh, spelling of Xiao is S E O W, S E O W. Yeah. Oh. Or some other people will have S I E W. So it depends on what dialect group that you are in. Okay. And then the spelling of your family surname is actually slightly different. Okay. But if you were strictly speaking, following the Han Ping, mm-hmm. then it will be X I A O. Hmm. Yeah. So from my year onwards, there was actually an encouragement. But how about like Chen in Han Pinyin? It's T A N or C H E N? Yeah, so there's both, right? C H E N, which is the Han Pinyin. Yes. Yeah, and then there's Tan, which is the dialect. Yeah. At first, when I saw T A N, right, I didn't realize actually it refers to Chen. I thought mm. it refers to Tan, which is another last name. Yeah. Like uh, that is very common in Taiwan. Yeah. Okay. Interesting, right? Interesting. So. Okay, so let's talk about why did you choose to study in the UK instead of the US? <laughs> hey. So I did my master's maybe 10 years after I started working. Are you revealing your age? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, uh, there's nothing to hide. I'm, I'm 36 this year. It's okay. Yeah. He looks like 26. <laughs> when I first saw him, but now it's different. Okay, so sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, work is a little bit stressful. <laughs> Mm. Um, yeah, so at a time when I went to UK to study, I was already age 33. But why UK? I don't get it. Yeah, so uh, let me let me come oh, to that. Okay, sorry. Yeah. So I was age 33 at a point in time. I was at least 10 years older than everybody else in my cohort. Um, mm-hmm. I was married already at a point in time. Oh, yeah. My wife was with me in Dubai. Um, so, so Dubai first and then... UK. Correct. Dubai oh, first shoot. and UK. So we should talk about Dubai first, right? Yeah, it's okay. Never mind. We can always go to we first. Okay, let's so, just finish this So one. basically, I, I went ahead to UK because the master's program was one year. Oh. And um and I was I was looking, I was comparing, right? So uh, I was com- I was looking at UC Berkeley, mm. UCLA Berkeley. Uh, that's the US program. Uh, I was able to get in, uh, but it was a two years program. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I was considering Australia as well, closer mm, to a home. A lot of people chose that. Yeah. Mm. So like Melbourne University, I could meet that requirement too. But that was that again was a two years program. But only University College London or any of the master's program that I, that I was looking at in UK was offering a one year program. Mm-hmm. And to me at that point in time, I was having a very good remuneration package when I was in Dubai. I 
had a fam sort of like a family commitment because I had my wife with me back then. No that, kids. That, that is not not like sort of. <laughs> it is a family <laughs> commitment, right? Yeah. Mm. Um. Yeah. So so to me, it was if I were to pursue this childhood aspiration of completing a uh, postgraduate study overseas, um, then it means giving up a very good salary. And at the same time, I need to pay for my accommodation, uh, pay for living allowance, pay yeah. for school fees as well. But have you ever considered to go for like evening courses in Dubai? In this case, yes, you can maintain your job and... Yes. Yeah. So the thing with, uh, with the universities in Dubai at that point in time, uh, they did not have the program that I was looking at oh. and the university that I was looking at. Yeah. So if I wanted to do a, a master's, I wanted to do a master's in a reputable university. And the course that I chose uh, was under the Ballard School of uh, Project Management and Construction. Mm. Um, so that was, if I'm not wrong, Ballard School ranked second in the world okay. um, after MIT in terms of the architectural school, mm. or rather in that same sector. So architectural building science based on ranking this based is on your ranking. priority yeah. uh, in a sense correct yeah mm. so i wanted something that and, and at a point in time why i wanted to do that there was two objectives one was to um to basically fulfill a childhood aspiration mm. something that i always wanted to do but i couldn't afford when i was younger mm. um two was i wanted to change a career so i was very uh, specialized into sustainability oh. and I have always been a sustainability consultant um, okay. but I wanted to branch off from sustainability to do something more uh, holistic oh. yeah so I wanted to cross over to the client side uh -huh. um, to to have a bigger picture of the the, the whole end-to-end -end design construction and delivery process right yeah rather than just focusing on the sustainable design of the built environment. Mm. Yeah. So you study civil engineering and then uh, go for sustainability. I did civil and environmental. Oh, specializing sorry. Okay. <laughs> Why? I always have an impression that you study civil engineering. Okay, this is weird. Yeah. So I did my civil and environmental in Nanyang Technological University. Ah. So that was, that was a local university in Singapore. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. Wait, so like after that, you just went to Dubai straight? No, so I was working in Singapore for maybe about four and a half years before I go to Dubai. Oh, yeah. but why did you find this opportunity in Dubai? Um, good question. So long story short, right? Um, or maybe I'll tell you the long story version. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> we have some time. Yeah. So I graduated uh, from NTU at a point in time. We were specializing in environmental. And the university at that point in time was focusing a lot on water purification and membrane technology. And predominantly, whatever the school is training the graduate for right, is, is very much driven by what the industry actually needs. Mm. And water scarcity has always been an issue in Singapore. Mm. Right? Okay. Uh, we don't have natural uh, dams mm, or mm, like mm. rivers mm. or like mountains right mm. so our natural source of water is very limited yes. mm. so we had a lot of artificial man-made reservoirs or water bodies to collect rainwater mm. or rainwater catchment area uh, and we still continue to buy water from malaysia 
Oh, okay. Which we have two water treaties with Malaysia, right? One expired in 2011. The other one is expiring in 2067, mm-hmm. if I'm not wrong. Um, so driven by self-preservation, mm. right? So Singapore has a very uh, high priority in water independence. Mm. Um, so we started coming up with all the different types of water purification process, uh, membrane technology that enable us yeah. to recycle our waste water, water mm. into new water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the universities were all focusing on that. Um, but as you can tell, right, there are only four or five uh, big water purification companies uh, in, in Singapore. Local right? companies. Local companies. Okay. And every batch, you are churning out maybe about 200 graduates from NTU uh-huh. and another 200 from NUS. Okay, so you had like 400 uh-huh. graduates from this sort of cohort, yeah. perhaps fighting for 40 to 50 opening yes. per year okay. of these four or five mega water purification companies operating in Singapore. Mm. So majority of us will need to switch our career upon graduation oh. switch our field so whatever that we are being trained uh-huh. we did not apply to that so i have a lot of colleagues that end up working for uh land transport authority in singapore uh-huh. doing tunneling projects and railway projects mm, now mm. there are some that went to ministry of manpower so oh. we are a very diverse bunch kind of spread out yeah kind of spread out okay i was um, lucky in a way um when i was navigating through my university years, I stumbled I stumbled upon a startup Singapore, oh. in Singapore that focused on collecting waste cooking oil okay. and converting it into biodiesel. So you didn't really join the prestigious companies that you just mentioned. No, I didn't. Okay, you yeah. for you went for a startup. I went for a startup. Right. Yeah. So I thought being in a startup, there's pros and cons, right? Yeah. You are exposed to the entrepreneurship spirit of a startup. Mm-hmm. You need to roll up your sleeve, get your hand dirty. There is no glam uh, in the job at all. You you basically have to really get... Multitasking your... in a sense? Huh? Multitasking in a sense, right? In, in a way, yeah. you need to understand how the business is being run. Mm-hmm. You also need to understand the operational challenge. Yes. You also have to, at the same time, develop the technology that keep the business sustainable. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I was I was kind of exposed to that. Um, so I was lucky in the sense that because when I was doing the biodiesel project, uh, one of our clients happens to be Asia Square Tower One. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Asia Square Tower One at that point in time they were using biodiesel to support their construction activity, and then after their project has been completed, they continue to have the micro refinery plant. What's that for? Um, to they have F and B, oh. in the development, right? They okay. have like food courts, mm. uh, restaurants in Asia Square Tower One and Two, and they have a hotel which is Westin Hotel in Asia Square Tower Two. Uh, so they collect all the waste cooking oil on site, and they process the waste cooking oil into biodiesel. Oh, and they mm. use the diesel to power their Jaguar fleet. So oh. they have a fleet of Jaguars. Okay. Um, that is operated by Westin Hotel concierge uh-huh. and they use that as a concierge service to ferry their hotel guests to and flow the airport and the hotel yeah so there was a kind of like a close close economy approach or story to that 
behind that whole sustainability story. Mm. Um, so at that point, I was a vendor. At, I was I initially started off as a vendor, supplying biodiesel biodiesel technology to a developer. Mm. Then I got exposed to the consultant team, the green building consultant team on the job, and they saw the potential in me, and they offered me a job as, do you want to become a consultant? Ah, I see. Yeah. So that's when I cross over from a vendor to become a green building consultant, mm. and that that was the start of my official career. Yeah. Oh. So I started off as a green building consultant with a uh, also a local SME firm. Uh huh. It's called. Uh... <laughs> you forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can check your linking. <laughs> it's called building system and diagnostic. No, it's okay, man. <laughs> anyway, it's just a company. Yeah, it's just right. a company. Right? Okay. Yeah. But it's an SME company. Oh. Um, one of the forefront in terms of green building uh, design in Singapore. So when I joined them, I had a good training with them. That's where I started um, getting all my professional certification. After that, I had a good experience with... Uh, BSD for maybe about three to three and a half years, um, and during that period of time, I traveled quite a bit within Southeast Asia. So I had projects in mm, Malaysia, mm. Uh, China, Myanmar. So your role basically needs to travel a lot. Quite sense. a bit, okay. yeah, In the past, yeah. mm. and I was based. I I was sent to Malaysia for oh. a year and a half. Which yeah. city? Uh, Kuala Lumpur. So they ah, have a branch okay. office there okay. and I was sent over uh, one and a half years to sort of like help them to run their office. Oh. Yeah. And so during that time, I will fly into KL on a Monday morning. I'll take the first flight in. So usually I wake up about 4 plus, I'll reach the airport by 5.30. I'll take the 6 plus AM flight into KL and I'll start work before 9 because I'll reach the office before 9. Yeah, so that's my Monday. And I'll fly out from KL either on a Thursday evening or fly on a Friday evening. Why yeah. did you just stay there? Because my family and my girlfriend is back in Singapore. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, so I'll do that on a weekly basis. Anyway, it's budget airline, so it's, it doesn't really cost a lot for me to fly in and out. Oh, I thought your company actually sponsor your transportation fee as well. They do, they do. Also, yeah. oh, it's totally fine. Yeah, it's you just totally need fine. to wake up early. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> to them, it's fine as well. Yeah. Okay, that's so good. So that that was my first overseas sort of like overseas experience, going to Malaysia. So thereafter, I left the company. Then I came out. I started something on my own, as like I wanted to do some consultancy work. But at the time, I was approaching 30 years old. So I was still quite young. Mm. Um, young, foolish, and hungry, probably, at that point in time. More foolish than anything else. You are still hungry, else. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Very ambitious. More foolish than anything at that point in time, to be honest. Um, What's that? I think Singapore is difficult if you want to be an entrepreneur, and especially in the consultancy uh, oh. side. First, they look at whether you have your credential. Mm. Right. Then they look at your professional indemnity. Like mm. if you were to design something wrong, are you able to cover the, you know, do you have the financial capacity to cover the professional indemnity? Oh. They also look at, um, yeah, basically your age and your credibility and your track records of projects. Okay. Yeah. So it was tough uh, trying to be out on my own doing design for developments and especially green building design it is not like you can it's not like 
home interior projects, right? Whereby you do for small clients. Mm. Green building design for developers are usually big mega projects. Mm, mm, mm. Um, so it's, it's difficult. So in the end, I went to approach, uh, I would say an acquaintance that I met from a conference in the past when both of us were speakers and we kept in contact. And I understand that he has a small team doing mm. uh, green building consultancy as well. Mm. Um, so I approached him and I said, can I actually do some freelancing work for you? Okay. So if you do not want, because it's always from in from the business perspective, it's uh-huh. a bit of a chicken and egg. Mm. Do I want to expand my team mm. when I have no projects in hand? Mm. Or do I want to win a project first? Mm. Then I hire somebody, right? Mm, to help, yeah. Yeah. If you don't have somebody on hand to submit the CV, then it's also difficult for you to um, win a project because sometimes when they evaluate your team, mm. they also evaluate based your on members. your team mm. members. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a struggle there. Mm. I say, why not come in and join you as a freelancer, but I could actually help you to, you can market me as part of your team when mm. you when mm. you tender for projects. Yeah. But you don't have to pay me anything at that point in time, right? So his operation- You did it like for free? Totally? No, no, no. I said, before he win any job and before I carry out any job. So it's lean in that yeah. sense. And he only needs to pay me after he win a project mm. and only after I have delivered a certain milestones, rules. right? Yeah. Yeah, mm. Then he will start paying me based on the milestones that I delivered. Yeah. So he saw that and he said, oh yeah, you're quite entrepreneurial and daring. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, why don't I hire you and you set up this whole new business line for me in Middle East? Oh, wow, this is so great. Yeah. Huh. And yeah, I mean, but he, he's also quite um, a, a senior guy in, okay. in the company. So I, this guy is a managing director at My Heart for Start Technology. Okay. So they are a multidisciplinary engineering firm, mm-hmm. about 4,000 over staff globally, more than 40 offices mm-hmm. in APAC, India, Australia, New Zealand. But I like pick you to expand their business line in Middle in, East. Yeah, in Middle East. Wow. Just for the sustainability line. They already still- have a branch office doing like mm. the standard design work, like MEP structures. Uh, they have already a team mm-hmm. of maybe about 100 over there, but they don't have anybody to do in-house sustainable design. Mm. Uh, I see. So I went over and I expanded their services, their capability per se, oh. by providing an additional sustainability service line. So when they go out for tender, they can mm. tender for MEP design or they can tender for structural design and facade, but they can also put in sustainability as one additional scope that they can do. Mm. Yeah. So to the client is a one-stop shop service, yeah. every, everything under one roof with a single point of contact. That was your first time to go to Dubai? That was my first time. In yeah, Dubai. I didn't even know about. Have you ever experienced any culture shock? I was a. You see, in Singapore, being a Chinese, you have some oh. sort of a blind spot, right? Because majority population in Singapore, <laughs> right, yes. more than seventy percent. When I go there, I was a minority. In Dubai, is quite clear. The local Emiratis, oh. I think there's only less than ten percent of the population in Dubai were locals. If I'm not wrong. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, okay. Quite, quite, I mean, they have a very small population. And you can tell in all the organization structure, right? The senior, the top most senior position will be the locals. Mm. Then you have the 
next level, which is like the advisor to the locals, right? So okay, the senior sure. advisors that can be anybody, can be any oh. expert based on merits. Okay. So it, oh. it can be it can be a Westerner, it can be an uh, South Asian. So oh. when I say South Asian is India, or it can also be um, Southeast Asia, which is like Singapore. And Dubai have a tendency, especially their ministries, mm. right? They have a tendency to hire a Singaporean. Why is that? <laughs> I have no idea. Because I think that's how bilingual or no, but they have I mean this is my opinion, huh? So and based on my observation when I was there. Yeah. So UAE as a whole, United Arab Emirates. So Dubai is like one of the Emirates it's as part of the mm. UAE. Mm. Um UAE was like Singapore, they were colonized in the very early days. Okay. Then they came out and became independent okay. forming UAE. Uh. In terms of their age, they are younger than Singapore mm. and we have very similar history mm. in terms of how we come out from post-colonization yeah. to, to its independence mm. and how we develop the country. Um, so there were a lot of uh, close, I, I would say Dubai at a point in time, they were emulating Singapore mm. quite a fair bit. Okay. And they they look at how the way our government policy actually works and how our ministry actually works. Okay. So they do they did hire quite a few of the Singaporeans to be working in each of side? their ministry. Oh. Yeah. So we have Singaporeans in road transport authority in Dubai because of how successful our MRT system here is. Mm. Uh, they also try to replicate their mm. same uh, RTA system. Yeah, also a train system in Dubai. Mm -hmm. So they hired uh, some Singaporeans to help them. To guiding the yeah. Then we have Singaporeans in uh, the Dubai Electricity and Water Authority, okay. which is similar to our Public Utilities Board. Oh. We have Singaporeans in their telco industry as well. Uh, Singaporeans in their Dubai Health Authority and Prime Minister Office. Mm. So you can see how much of a value mm. that the Dubai authorities in Singapore. have have yeah. um, you know so, some some sort of recognition. Okay, I want to start, let's start from racism. Hmm. So I have to repeat my question again. Okay. <laughs> with, with the same tone. <laughs> okay, so what I was saying is that I thought there is no racism, but then there is, right? Okay, please continue your thoughts. Sorry. I think racism is a very subjective issue, depending on, depending on uh, what lens you're wearing and what perspective they are looking from, mm. right? Are you looking it from an outward perspective or are you looking it from an inward perspective? Mm. Um, when I'm majority, I get my majority blind spot, Yeah. right? I may make some casual remarks. You mean like I'm more? <laughs> that might be insensitive <laughs> to certain ethnicity group, right? Yeah. But when I'm there as a minority, yes. people may also do the same. Yeah, for sure kind of comments oh. towards me, right? So I remember when I was in Dubai and I casually asked this guy that came out from a super uh, in a in a food center and he was rolling this luggage bag. 
So he is Chinese. No, he's he's not Chinese. He's um he's a Eastern European. Okay. Yeah. Um so I asked, like, hey, where do you get this luggage from? It oh. looks uh nice. Oh. Um and he told me like some brands and how much it costs. And I no, he told me some brands and the shop. So the next question obviously I asked was, if you don't mind, can I ask you how much it costs? Yeah. Uh then he said, Yeah, I know you Chinese, right? Want to buy something good but cheap. <laughs> how can you have something cheap but Why good? Okay. So I mean at but the like point you were in time, shocked, right? I was shocked, right? Yeah, like instantly. I'm just I'm just asking a very casual question. Mm. But I never thought that, you know, people actually thought Chinese are cheap. Yeah. And for the fact that I look Chinese and I always get Because they thought you are like Chinese from China. Correct. Yeah. They don't understand that there is Singapore. Singapore is such a tiny city. Or to oh. them, they don't understand that you can be a Chinese uh. but born and raised outside of China. They don't what? have this concept, be any country, right? I think it's a global phenomenon that you see that the xenophobia is actually growing. Not just for Australia. Right? Oh. If you see that across all developed countries, um, US, mm. right? UK, that's mm. why we have Brexit. Mm. That's why we have Trump administration. Mm. Mm. Even in Singapore as well, at this, at this point in time, there's so many Singaporeans that's complaining, why are we letting so many uh, foreigners coming into our country to steal the Singaporean jobs. There is this whole debate about SICA, which is this free trade agreement that we sign or free trade treaty that we sign with India. PMETs to come to Singapore. What are PMETs? Professional manager, uh, executive, and oh no, electrician and T. I can't remember what it's that's called. just experts. Yeah. Okay, got it. But back to cultural shocks. Sorry, I kind of like jump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think cultural shock is uh when Do I really have to cover it up? Because yesterday No. When you go to the beach you still see a lot of bikinis. Oh okay. <laughs> so weird. If you go to the mall, you still see a lot of the Western ladies dress very skimpily. So it's still the same. It's still the same. But just that they have put some signages in the shopping malls uh-huh. that say no PDA. Uh, public display of affection. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're not supposed to be yeah. like, I read holding well. hand, I'm hugging, <laughs> kissing yes. on the street or kissing in the public. mall in the public. Yes. Uh, that's a no-no. Yeah. The, the security guard will come up to you very nicely and say, uh, uh, ma'am, sir, can you refrain so from doing They will warn you first okay. before they actually catch you. <laughs> Put you in the jail. <laughs> and here's another one which is very interesting. They say you cannot really film the how to say like a public incident for example if you if you see uh people are fighting on the street this is something that you cannot film and post it on social media mm-hmm. because this action will be considered as i don't know like disrespectful um to dubai yes yes and no because it tarnished the reputation of dubai mm-hmm. yeah so there are instances whereby i i don't know whether you remember but one of the New Year's Eve celebration, mm. one of a prestigious building in Dubai downtown area, I think it's called Dubai Address, caught fire. And oh. that was on the eve of New Year. Huh. And there were people taking photographs of that. There were explosions in the building mm. uh, and they posted on social media. Uh, some of those who first took a video of that or photograph of that and posted on social media, they were dealt with 
subsequently. So, so anything a, that uh, you may tarnish the reputation of Dubai, you will be dealt with separately. Yeah. Mm. Like they do have a departments to monitor this kind in, of in behavior. In a way, yeah. But Dubai, I would say, is the most liberal country of all the Islamic countries. But you are compared to like other adjacent countries. Yeah, that's why Dubai is able to position themselves as the gateway into the Islamic economy, very mm. much like Malaysia as well. Malaysia is also considered an Islamic economy, but they are also open-minded and liberal. But if you look at Malaysia versus Dubai, it's slightly different. Malaysia, yes, you have a majority of the Bumi Mutras and the Malays, mm. but you have a fair population of the Indians, the Chinese, and there is a fair history of the British colonization yeah. or the Portuguese colonization. Yes. Um, it's very, it, it's, it's quite similar to Singapore in mm. some respect, yeah, as compared to like Dubai, which is like the Middle East, Middle East kind of uh, culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So see. that's why Dubai was so successful because it can be the gateway for all other uh, international companies to establish a base in Dubai, mm-hmm. people wants to live there, it's liberal enough to be living there, but the businesses are not necessarily in Dubai, but it's servicing the, the neighboring Islamic countries in the region. Mm. Very much like Singapore. If you look at how the MNC are actually establishing their base in Singapore, but projects are usually outside. Now I can relate. Mm. Oh, there's another. Yes. Uh-huh. You can't, okay, so if you want to have alcohol at home, you need to apply for alcohol license. For real? Yeah, but who will check if I'm just drinking at my place? Uh... Don't get caught. There's always a saying, right? You can do anything, but don't get caught. But nobody will just if come you get to your caught, place to knock your door. If see. somebody complains about you, your oh. neighbor thinks that you are causing a nuisance because yes. you are drunk. Uh-huh. They call up the authority. The authority come to your house and they raid your house and say, how come you got so much alcohol in your house? Yeah. Show me your alcohol license. And if you don't have the right documents to prove it, uh-huh. you will get into a serious trouble. Yeah. Is it hard to get that? Or you will no. automatically get a once you, you need to apply. No, so you need to apply through your company. You need a sponsorship letter from your company. It's so complicated. Yeah. Okay. But you were granted when you were there yeah. by your company. Mm. Okay. So there are specific shops in Dubai whereby you can buy alcohol. Huh. So when you buy alcohol, you need to produce that alcohol license. Or you can buy alcohol from uh, duty-free when you come in from the airport. So when you buy alcohol from the duty-free, mm-hmm. that's when you don't need to produce a license. That's the only time you don't need to produce a license because the amount that you purchase mm. is always limited. One liter, right? Something like that. Yeah. Mm. I can't remember what's the exact volume, but it's limited. So okay. when there is a limited volume, they say this is just for recreational consumption. But what if you are drunk just because of that one liter and then you got a complaint by your neighbors and then someone actually come to your place yeah. to ask you whether you have alcohol license or not what should you do like i don't have but is it okay because i bought it from airports yeah i think it's fine